Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, your word, it's living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It's more powerful than any words that any man can speak. And Lord, as we look at this passage in Matthew, as we look at the events of your crucifixion, draw us in. May we see you in your glory. May we see that you're a God who came to save and to rescue sinful humanity. That we couldn't save ourselves. So Lord, now we ask that you and your presence we felt as we speak here, Lord Jesus. Amen. I've always appreciated how the Bible speaks to us on so many levels. It speaks to our emotion. Emotion's a real thing. God has given you emotion, and there's nothing wrong with that. The Bible speaks to our, our minds, that we're, we're intelligent, and the Bible will speak to us in intelligent ways. It'll speak to our physicality, our, our feeling. Everything about us, the Bible addresses. And one of the things I love about the Bible, it's rooted in real places real people, real things that happened. And history over and over again just bears this out. There's two people in this story that we see today that we hadn't seen before, but they're very instrumental. One of them is a man named Pontius Pilate. History tells us very, very little about Pontius Pilate. In fact, the only place that he was mentioned was in the writings of Josephus. And because of that, some begin to wonder, did this guy, Pontius Pilate, did he actually rule over such a strategic, hostile place like Judea? They wouldn't just put anybody there. Surely Pilate... They wouldn't just put a man that nobody's ever heard of or talked about. Well, in 1961, they found a stone in the city of Caesarea. They've nicknamed it, or they call it the Pilate Stone. And on this stone, it says, During the reign of Tiberius, that gives us the time, the prefect, that gives us the position, Pontius Pilate. It mentions the person, the position, and the place. History bears over and over again the authenticity of Scripture. God gives us these proofs that we can stand on His Word. And we look at Pilate. What little we know, when he became into power, he made some mistakes. One, when he came into power, he marched right into the temple area carrying the Roman standard, the gold Roman standard, right into the temple area. And when he came in, a riot broke out. And to put that riot down, Pilate had to spill blood. Also, Pilate, he decided to build an aqueduct. That's a, uh, an aqueduct is something that carries water from one place to another. Very important in the Roman world. And he decided to build one for the Jewish people but he paid for it with temple money. And again, the Jewish people were upset with him. Another time he had his army have new 
uh, armor. And on their armor was the emperor Tiberius. They accused Pilate. They believed he promoted emperor worship. So Pilate was in a position of great risk. If more riots broke out, if more things happened, then he would lose his position. And here he is, the most important day of the Jewish year, Passover. And the Jewish people, the leaders, come to him early in the morning. And they've got this man named Jesus. They call him Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Son of God, Jesus the Messiah. And they say, he's inciting a riot. He blasphemes against our God. He's got a following. And Pilate knows if he doesn't handle this properly, that he could be out of a job. This is a risky thing Pilate's doing. So what Pilate does, he's looking for a way to get out of this. So his first attempt, he brings Jesus and another man named Barabbas. You see, it was the custom at Passover that what they would typically do is they would release a prisoner at Passover to appease the Jewish people, to keep this huge holy day from getting riotous. They would release somebody to make the people happy. So what Pilate does, he picks the most notorious prisoner he could find. Luke's gospel says he was a murderer that he incited a riot. You, you may have noticed as we were reading, our elders were reading from the English Standard Version, which is typically what I uh, use on Sundays. Our screen had the NIV on the screen. I want to show you uh, uh, something that the NIV says. I don't know if we've got somebody up there running it right now. Maybe not. But in the NIV, in verse 16, it mentions the name of Barabbas. Not just his, what we call his last name. It mentions what the earliest manuscripts record as Barabbas' first name. Look, it says this here, verse 16. At that time there was a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. The most ancient manuscripts, the earliest manuscripts that we have of uh, telling us Barabbas has his name as Jesus Barabbas. Now, Jesus was a very common name. It means God is salvation. There are those who believe it may have been removed from later manuscripts because people said, we can't have anybody else being called Jesus. We can only have the sinless Jesus in here. But here, this man named uh, Barabbas his name, his first name, in the earliest manuscripts is Jesus, just like our Savior. Now that name Barabbas, the bar is the Aramaic term that means son of, and Abba, you've heard the name Abba, right? Bar, son of, Abba, the son of the Father, that's his name. Jesus, the son of the Father. And this guy was the worst criminal in the prison. He was going to be crucified most likely that day. They were going to crucify Barabbas. Hang him on a cross. This man who was like a serial killer. Inciting riots, murdering. He was going to die, but Pilate 
looking for a way to not kill Jesus. He had been warned by his wife in a dream, don't kill this man, he's innocent. He doesn't want to kill Jesus, but he doesn't want to riot. And he brings the worst man he can think of. Surely, when he puts the worst criminal that the people can think of versus a rabbi, a rabbi who's really done no crime, nobody can find any crime in him, the worst thing they can say he's done is he's teaching something they don't like. They accuse him of blasphemy. But he hasn't been accused of physical harm or murder. Surely people would rather him be released than the murderous Barabbas. They won't want him on the streets. And Pilate asked them, Who do you want released? And the crowds shout for Barabbas to be released. And then he asked them, and in the question of all questions, the question that everybody must answer, in verse 22 he asked this question, What shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? I'm going to release to you Barabbas. And think about that. This guy is known for killing people. Nobody would want him on the streets, but they're going to release him. What do I do with Christ? That's a question everybody has to answer. What do we do with Christ? Often we think it's a one-time answer. Do you believe Jesus is Savior? Do you believe He's Messiah? Do you believe He died for your sins? Obviously, that's the most important question we can ever answer. But in our daily decisions, what am I going to do with Christ? As a father leading a household, how, what am I going to do with Christ in my household? As a husband, what am I going to do with Christ in my marriage? As a person who has a job and works somewhere, what am I going to do with Christ in my workplace? What am I going to do with Christ with my friends, with my relationships? How does Christ come into all of that? It's a question we ask over and over again. It's a question we often ignore. It's a question we often act like it's a one-time question. Salvation is a one-time question. But in our lives, it's over and over again. And this is what he's trying to ask. What do I do with Christ? And the people say, crucify him. So one more time, Pilate looking for a way out. He sends Jesus to be scourged, to be flogged by professional Roman executioners. Let me tell you what these Romans were trained in. They were trained to beat somebody right up to the point of death, but don't kill them. Beat them as badly as you can beat them, but don't let them die. They would start at the feet, on the back. As the person was standing back, they would beat their back flaying the muscles on their legs, ripping muscle off. It is graphic, it is gross, it is horrific. It's painful to talk about. And they would work their way up the leg, work their way onto the back, beating the person nearly to death, and then they would turn them over and beat their front as well, literally ripping off flesh. It was brutal. It was horrific. And they did it right up to the point that that person was just about to die. 
In fact, most of the people who were beaten this way would die within the next few weeks. A lot of people didn't survive very long, but a trained executioner would not kill the person. And Jesus, he's scourged. He's beaten. And Pilate has a robe put on him. Just when I think about that, your body left bare, and they put cloth, they put robe on you and then they crown him king his crown is not the gold riches of this world his crown is from the fall you see before the fall occurred man didn't work with thorns and thistles he was in a perfect garden a perfect place but no here's what you get you get a crown that's a picture of the fall you get a crown of thorns crushed onto your head because you've come to save us from the fall and Pilate presents him, and it's as if Pilate's saying this, here's your king. Hadn't he been beaten enough? But the people shout all the more, crucify, crucify, crucify. And they take Jesus to the cross. And Pilate puts up in all three languages, Aramaic, Greek, Hebrew, here's Jesus, King of the Jews. And the religious leaders come and say, take that down. We reject that. And he says, it's up there, deal with it. And Jesus hangs on a cross. And for three hours on the cross, we're told darkness covers the earth. The night before, Jesus prayed, take this cup from me. Let me tell you, Jesus didn't want to be beaten. Jesus did not want to die on a cross. He was a man. He didn't want that, but that's not the cup he was afraid of. He wasn't most afraid of being beaten, though he didn't want that. He wasn't most afraid of a cross. No, 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 that's, that's not the thing he said. Please take this cup from me, God. The bitter cup of taking the sin of the world upon him. Of him there on the cross, he took the wrath of God on the cross. That's what our sin deserved. We deserved God's wrath. We don't like to talk that way. It doesn't make us feel good. It shouldn't make us feel good. Our sin deserves wrath, but Jesus took it there on the cross. And for three hours... And this is one I can't articulate theologically or any other way very well. But something happened within the Godhead. Father and Son experienced something never experienced before on the cross. As the Son took the sin of the world upon him, the Father turned his face away. Remember one of Jesus' statements? He goes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He had never experienced any sort of separation from God the Father. And there on the cross, as 1 Corinthians says in chapter 5, verse 20, he became sin. He became sin. 
And here's the truth. He would have done that just for your sin. If it was just your sin, he would have, he would have went there and done it for your sin. He takes the sin of the world upon him. And for three hours on the cross, he endures the wrath of the Father. He's a substitute. You see, when you read this story, you're to see yourself in it. In a man named Jesus Barabbas. Barabbas should have been on the cross. Barabbas was a guilty murderer. He was guilty of sin. He deserved to die on the cross, but he goes free. And Jesus hangs on a cross dying. That's who we are. We're Barabbas. We're the murderer. Oh, sure, I venture to say nobody in this room has murdered anyone physically, but Jesus says if you have hatred and anger in your heart toward a person, it's the same seed as murder, that we are found sinful, we are found guilty, we deserve the judgment of God, we deserve the cross, we deserve God's wrath, and Jesus steps into our place. So as we read this story, we look and we go, I... I'm Barabbas in this story. I'm the one who should have been hanging on the cross. I'm the one who should have endured the wrath of God. Yet, a substitute comes. Jesus takes our place. And all we have to do is trust that his sacrifice is sufficient for each of us. That he has dealt with your sin. That he's worthy. That he paid the price once and for all. That there's no more left for you to do. So on Good Friday, that's what we call today. Strange name. Good. The story doesn't feel good. It's not what we call a feel-good story. I venture to say a lot of us are sitting here going, this feels heavy. Yeah, it's a heavy day. It's a heavy story. But it's called good. Because for you and I, it's the most glorious day to ever exist. Our sin was taking to the cross. But that's where Friday ends. We're not taking it further than that. On Sunday, we'll get to celebrate what we know is the reality that death has no more sting because Jesus paid the price. But on Friday, everybody's waiting. Like they would wait for the high priest when he'd make an offering. Was the sacrifice sufficient? Was it enough? It's my sin that sent Jesus to the cross. That's something for each of us. Each of us to look and go, it is my sin. It's 
your sin. We take ownership of it. My sin sent him to the cross. My, my rebellion, my love of my own glory, my love of this own world, my love of my own ease, comfort, whatever it is, my fame, whatever it is, that sent him to the cross. And that's what we take ownership of today. As we see this most, the most famous events in all of human history, it's an historical event. It's real people. It actually happened. It's true, real places, all these things. But that's not all it is. This is the event that separated and changed all of history unlike any other event ever. And today we mourn and we reflect that our sin sent him to the cross.